o'clock. Florida Gators will kick off against the Charlotte 49ers, and that's going to be a 4 p.m. pregame, 7 o'clock kickoff. And then Monday night, not Sunday, but Monday night, the Philadelphia Eagles will visit Raymond James to take on the Bucks. 7-15 kick, 6-15 pregame. Coach Joe, Florida State, even though they're going to Clemson, are two-and-a-half-point favorites. I think Florida State's going to beat Clemson handily. I definitely think they'll cover cover that. Uh, you know, Clemson, really, we saw them not look good at all against Duke. Now, if we learned anything from this past week, we know that a team on the road in their first game uh, might not necessarily show how good they're going to be the rest of the year. We learned that, especially when they have a big rivalry game at home a couple of weeks later. Obviously, I'm, I'm referring to the Gators looking bad at Utah and then coming back and winning handily against Tennessee in the Swamp the other night. So having said that, uh, FSU is a very strong team. Uh, they, as, as long as uh, Jordan Travis is in good shape, uh, you know, he, he got banged up a little bit in the Boston College game, but he seemed to play okay. As long as he's all right, they can move the ball. But that Boston College game, uh, I followed it, uh, uh, you know, on Saturday, and if it surprised me how well Boston College moved the ball on them. It surprised me that the uh, FSU defense wasn't stronger. You know, that was the big question mark about that team going into this season that we thought they'd answered those questions against LSU. But they look vulnerable defensively and playing in Clemson. Uh it gives Clemson hope, especially because a loss here pretty much puts Clemson out of the running for good. Uh, there's a similar situation that Alabama's in. But uh, I like I like FSU in the two and a half. But speaking of Alabama, you went to the USF-Alabama game and got drenched yes, in the I rain. Yes, I did. Unfortunately. <laughs> I but I, I got very wet. You know, as we discussed, it seemed like it was just mutual mediocrity over there – um, Alabama because of the quarterbacking situation, and they probably took USF a little bit lightly. But, you know, I've I've said this, and I actually sent Chris Doring a letter because one of my pet peeves is that some of these national guys especially talk about Gator fans as being the most impatient in the country. Well, I saw on ESPN.com there's a lot of Alabama fans after that game, a 17-3 to win for Alabama, saying games pass, save him by, time for him to retire. Well, that's a little premature when you've won seven national championships and six of them at Alabama. Yeah, he's not going to be easy to replace when and if he ever does decide to retire. Uh, uh, I didn't hear that from the many Alabama fans at, in Tampa last week. Uh, yeah, I saw it online, though, too. But see, that's my point, yeah. is that each, every team, every team, I don't care who you are, has that lunatic fringe that every incomplete pass, they want to fire the coach. <laughs> and Alabama's no different. That's the, the great uh, Fansville uh, commercial, one of the yeah, many it, this exactly. year. <laughs> the, the people are going crazy. One guy burning all his, his uh, state gear. <laughs> and then yeah. the, the one character says, that's only the first play of the season. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that is very funny. I, I, I will say that, that Alabama fans uh, looked a little bit stunned and uh, unnerved by the performance of the team in Tampa how USF's defense took it to Alabama, sacking the quarterback Sampson five times, and and the quarterbacking play by Alabama, um, you know, there's good quarterbacking, and then 
the opposite of that is what we saw from the quarterbacks for Alabama, Buckner and uh, Sampson. They combined 10 out of 23 for 107 yards. Uh, a brutally bad, missing receivers, uh, looking uncertain in the pocket, not mobile at all. It's no. It, it, I was wondering, watching the game, at what point is Saban going to go back to to Milrow? Why isn't Milrow in there? You know, why is he benched to begin with when when these are the alternatives? I'm I'm not sure that there wasn't some sort of disciplinary issue that Milrow had to had to ride the bench and that we're not being told about it. I don't know. But those other two quarterbacks, there's no way they beat Ole Miss with either of them. But Mil, they're going back to Milrow this week, and we'll see what happens. Well, you know, Saban has been known. To be, he, when he's had to, he's changed, and he's certainly been effective at it. Like when he brought Lane Kiffin in, I think he realized what he had to do. And it, it also could be that he doesn't want to change the offense to do what Milrow does, which is run. You've mm-hmm. got to put quarterback run in there. Ty Simpson's not going to do that, and you know the same thing with Buckner. Yeah, Tyler Buckner's not going to do that yeah. either, and you're not going to be effective with it. I mean, they might break the pocket. You know, if you've got everybody's back turned to him, but Milrow can hurt you with his legs. And um, I think Alabama, if they're going to be effective at all, their offensive line doesn't look nearly what it's been in the past. No, they struggled mightily on the offensive line. Uh, They couldn't block USF at all. Uh, They got completely bamboozled by that scheme. Really, their their points were set up by – you know, USF fumbled, set up a field goal, and then they hit one play, one passing play all day that set up the go-ahead touchdown. They, it really was a 10-3 to game. They they did tack on the touchdown, basically in the last play of the game when they could have knelt down. It's a form of running up the score, you know, because 10-3, <laughs> you kneel down, the game ends, it's 10-3, to but they decided to run an extra play, and they made it in the, uh, in the final minute, made it 17-3, to which I guess looks and sounds a little bit better. Uh, but despite that, despite those style points, Alabama falling out of the top 10 for the first time since 2015. Wow, that's amazing. You know, before we go to break, I want to say, uh, send out our condolences to the family of Buddy Tevens. Buddy was um, the head coach at Dartmouth. He was 117, 101, and 2. Won five Ivy League or shared five Ivy League titles. titles. And he was at UF under Steve Spurrier from 99 to 2001. And the interim head coach is Sam McCorkle that played at Florida and won four SEC titles under Steve Spurrier as a, a walk-on. But um, our, certainly our condolences go out to Buddy Tevens' family, who was an Ozone uh, guest at one time. So let's go ahead and take a break. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hello, I'm Ken Riley, former of the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean, and you are now in the Ozone. The Ozone. Talk Radio 96.7, The Ozone, with Ronnie O and Coach Joe, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. Earlier this afternoon, Ronnie O and Coach Joe caught up with Chris Perkins, former of the uh, Florida Gators. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us Chris Perkins, who up until Saturday held the shared the SEC record for longest field goal in an SEC football game, and uh, you, did you see uh, Harrison Mavis kick that field goal? Yes, Ronnie, I did. I happened to be watching the game and uh, saw that great kick to win the game. What were your feelings? I was very happy for Mavis. Uh, 
obviously to win the game like that was real exciting. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of, it was going to be broken someday. So uh, happy I got to see it. And, uh, and it looked like he's a pretty good kicker and did, knew he could make it. Well, you know, you and I have always shared the thought that your field goal really was 61 yards. And uh, it happened against Tulane in 1984. Coach Joe and I both were at that game. And uh, why don't you tell the story about why it wasn't credited as 61 yards? Sure. Uh, yeah, it, I thought it was 61 yards uh, when I kicked it. The scoreboard said 61 yards new SEC record field goal when I kicked it on the big scoreboard. And, uh, yeah, it was very exciting. And then, uh, you know, after the game, we and it wasn't a game to uh, – a kick to win the game or anything. Uh, we beat Tulane quite handily. So uh, it was a unique opportunity and one that I'd look forward to. And then after the game, of course, uh, that was uh, Coach Pell's last game coaching. He resigned after the game. and. Uh, Got to talk to him about that and thanked him. And uh, I was sitting in my locker, getting ready to start changing, just uh, really happy. And a uh, gentleman, older gentleman, tapped me on the shoulder and introduced himself. I forget his name, but he was a retired professor from UF, and he was the official scorekeeper. And he wanted to tell me personally that he looked at the replay several times, and I, I wasn't on a hash mark, so he he judged that I was a few inches short of the 49-yard line. <laughs> and uh, and that was kind of a shocker to me. <laughs> it took, took a little, little bit of a gut punch feeling. But, uh, you know, in the end, I was, I was still happy and pleased. I got to uh, – always got to play for Florida and, uh, and that I got the Florida record and tied the SEC record. So – I walked away with my head high, but that was kind of a shock and a surprise. <laughs> Chris, I've always maintained that that 84 team was the most talented we've ever had at Florida. Not only we did we have depth across both lines of scrimmage all over, you had depth in the kicking game. You had Bobby Raymond, who was a kicker as well, and he was one of the most accurate kickers in the history of the NCAA. You had Ray Criswell, a tremendous punter, and David Nardoni, who seemingly could drop – the ball in the side of the ten yard line anytime he wanted. Yeah, yeah, we had uh, we had a, a full threat. Uh, Ray was a terrific punter, but like you said, Dave Nardone had a real knack for uh, getting the coffin corner and getting the ball not to bounce on the two yard line, which was I <laughs> thought was always amazing. Uh, and they were quite a combo. Um, Bobby Raymond, still a very good friend of mine, and. Uh, Great kicker. We had great competitions together. Uh, you know, we battled for it. Uh, Jim Ganey was the kicker when uh, I transferred to Florida and had to sit out a year. And um, we had some great competitions. Uh, I would agree that Bobby probably won it uh, as far as accuracy. Um, but we uh, we worked real well together. And, uh, you know, I got to kick the long, long field goals and uh, the kickoffs. And he did everything else as far as a uh, extra points and, you know, I'd say mid-range uh, field goals. So we, we had a good time, and it was a it was a unique situation that you didn't see that much in college. But I was real thankful for the opportunity to coach Bobby Joe Green, uh, our special teams, our specialist coach, and uh, Charlie Pell for uh, making the decision to 
let four of us get in there and kick and punt during the season. We're talking tonight with Chris Perkins, great Gators kicker from that awesome 1984 team. Chris, I was a senior at UF back then, so that was a, a real, real special year you gave to all the Gator fans who had waited a long time for an SEC championship, which uh, we still recognize. I know they, just like here, your 61-yarder, some some old guys took away the SEC <laughs> after, yeah. after the fact. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, you, you were uh, designated the long field goal kicker. So what was considered uh, the end of Bobby Raymond's range and where you'd step up? Yeah, it, it varied a little bit depending on conditions, you know, weather, wind, and it was a decision that uh, Bobby Joe Green and Coach Pell would make, you know, depending on the circumstances. But it was generally in the, you know, Bobby was Bobby could kick it longer, but it was usually in the forty-five yard range. Uh, sometimes he might have gone a little bit farther, uh, but it, it was generally in that range. So you know, I was. I kind of looked at it that uh, most of my kicks were 50 and higher. Uh, I had, I think I did have one or maybe two that were in the high 40s. But, uh, you know, that, that, that was a range that uh, Bobby was comfortable in. Uh, and, you know, he, he felt he could kick it a little farther and, and it could be set back further sometimes, but we never had an issue over it. We were happy to let the coaches make the decision. Uh, you know, in the in the moment of the game. You, you know, you talked about different weather conditions. That 84 team played in a number of different weather conditions, including the SEC clinching game in uh, November of 1984 at Kentucky, where uh, the ground, yeah. I think, was frozen, wasn't it? Uh, what's it like to kick off a turf it, like that? <laughs> it, it, uh, yes, it was very cold, very cold. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you get out there and you really focus on it in your pregame, you know, trying to make sure that you understand what you need to do from a footing point of view and how much leverage you can get on it, get on, get on the ball. Uh, and you know, it, it, uh, it wasn't snowing and raining and, and during the game, but it, the, the ground I do believe was frozen. Uh, but you know, we had, uh, we had a lot to look forward to that game. It actually made us all feel warmer knowing that we had a chance to win the SEC title for the first time in Florida's history. So, uh, you know, it was, it, it, we got through it all, and, and I, I didn't—I I didn't feel that cold on the sideline because we were all so excited about what, what was taking place. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in the stands that day. We didn't feel too cold either. We had different ways of staying warm, but. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A couple of weeks later in Tallahassee, that game was played in some, just some terrible rain. <laughs> yeah. What, what, yeah. What was it like to play in those sorts of conditions as a kicker? Well, that was a real bummer, you know, for me personally, I'll say. Real bummer. It was going to be my last game playing for the Gators because the university had already made a decision we weren't going to a bowl game. Uh, and it was just really demotivating when you came out of the locker room getting ready for the kickoff. And you're standing in about four feet, of, four inches of water on the sideline. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's probably not going to be a day that I'm going to get to kick a long one uh, and do much other than kicking off, which is really what happened. That's all I got to do. Uh, but, uh, but again, we, we came away with a victory and uh, that made, made the weather not feel as bad, but it, I was, I was kind of 
down a little bit at the beginning with that weather, just thinking, meh, we'll get through this. And, you know, the guys, <laughs> everybody's got to play in the rain, and I was ready if I had to. It wasn't four inches of rain on the field, uh, of, of water on the field, but on the sidelines, you're, your feet are just soaking wet, and I'm thinking, okay, there was no, no ability to kick into the practice net or anything uh, with all the water. And uh, Yeah, but, you know, hey, it was a great victory. And, you know, I kind of look back and I wish it was a cleaner weather game and a, and a, a more suitable game for, for our specialists. But we got through it and we won, and it was a great feeling. Chris, this is Ronnie O again. I'll always say that that Gator team would have crushed the BYU team that was declared the national champions. I don't think they could have stayed on the field with that Gator team. And you also mentioned Bobby Joe Green, who was a volunteer coach back then. He still holds a record for the longest punt in Florida history, 82 yards against Georgia in 1958. Yep, yep. That was quite an amazing feat that he had. And he was very humble about it. Uh, but he was a great guy. I really, really enjoyed him as a coach. He's a guy that uh, you could always talk to about uh, your form, your technique. Uh, and he would give you his his good input on that. But that was – it was an amazingly good team. Uh you know, I was so proud and happy to be a part of it, uh, trying to do my little piece. But we had uh, tremendous depth in, in, in a, you know, in all positions and, and a great camaraderie. And uh, you know, you, if you remember, of course, at the start of that season, there was a big question mark. Dale Dormany, our starting quarterback, yeah. got hurt in uh, in preseason practice, and uh, Kerwin Bell did an amazing job. You know, I, I think a lot of that had to do with the tremendous talent around him, but he worked well. He was, for a, a freshman quarterback thrust into that situation, he was he was one calm, level-headed guy that was just focused on doing what he needed to do to help the team win. And, uh, that that made it that made it a little bit special that we overcome overcame some adversity before that great season even got started. Did you did you uh, the coaching change after the Tulane game? How did that affect the players or the mood of the team? Uh, you know, I think everybody had a, was very sad. Had a great regard for Charlie Pell. Uh, you know, I think uh, that was probably the harder part versus not being able to continue our our, our hopes for a national championship. That was the hardest part to deal with immediately. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think everybody respected Galen Hall. He was new, relatively new <laughs> there. Respected his uh, his knowledge and, and football coaching skills as an offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, Charlie Pell went out amazingly gracefully uh, as far as uh, wanting the team to do well and, you know, at, emphatically saying, don't worry about me. I'll be a Gator forever. And uh, and I think it kind of, you know, brought the team together as players a little bit to say, you know, we've got to do this not only, you know, for the university and ourselves, but for Coach Bell who wasn't going to be there. And uh, I think Galen Hall, you know, he did a, a very good job of keeping everybody consistent, level-headed, and uh you know, he was the right guy for the situation. So 
you know, we're really blessed to have him have joined us. No uh, doubt. Chris, we're almost out of time. Real quickly, why don't you tell the audience what you're doing today? Sure. I'm uh, I'm retired for the most part. Uh, you know, I, I do dabble in some things and, and keep myself busy. But uh, I've been living uh, for the past 30 years just north of Atlanta, Georgia, in a town called Flowery Branch, Georgia. Uh, and recently I've uh, bought a, a home in Stewart, Florida, and and I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying immensely being back home in Florida. I grew up in Jupiter, Florida, so <laughs> this is kind of my neck of the woods. And uh, I've got, uh, I've got two two kids. My son uh, graduated a year, a little over a year ago, from the University of Florida. He's working in Orlando. Uh, I have a daughter who's a great athlete herself, but she attends University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Uh, as an astrophysics major. So wow. I don't, well, I don't know where she got that, but uh, <laughs> I'm very proud of her. Well, Chris, we uh, really— my, my wife, Lindsay. <clears throat> we really appreciate you being with us, and um, thank you so much. I'll still say it was 61 yards. <laughs> I I love it, Ronnie. I love it. Uh, I felt like it was, but, hey, you know, it is what it is, and I'm happy. I, I'm happy that it stood for 39 years. It was way overdue. All right. To be broken. There's 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 a bunch of guys that can kick it that far, but you just don't get the opportunity very much. Uh, and Charlie Pell gave me that opportunity, so I, I couldn't be happier to have represented the University of Florida uh, with that record. The great Chris Perkins. Chris, thank you so much. Thank you. You guys have a great day. You too. Second half of the Ozone kicks in now. More clutch. There you go. All right, now we're cooking. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Give us a call. We mentioned Bobby Joe Green. He was the Gators kicker in the late 50s. And uh, he was drafted by the Steelers, played for them 60-61. Chicago Bears punter from 62 to 73, which means he was the punter on the NFL champion Bears in 1963. Willie Gallimore, the great FAMU running back, played for the Bears. He was their bell cow back then. And Rick Caceres, former Florida Gator and one of the best athletes that they ever had at Florida, was uh, the fullback on that team. And he coached the Gator Kickers, Bobby Joe Green, from 79 to 89. And in 1959, he averaged 44.9 yards a kick, which was the Gators' record until Johnny Townsend broke it with a 47.9 when Johnny Townsend was the punter at Florida. And today is Artis Gilmore's birthday. He's 75 today. Of course, he led those great Jacksonville Dolphin teams under Joe Williams, who was a guest on the late Joe Williams. He's passed away now, but he was a guest on the Ozone. And then Artis Gilmore went to the ABA Kentucky Colonels. Get this, Coach Joe. He was so good. He was Rookie of the Year and MVP in the ABA that year. How about that? Very rare, especially, you know, the ABA uh, had some great talent on there uh, in, in there around the, that time. Uh is that, I think Dr. J was already in the league by then, right? I th- yeah, I think he was. I think he was, yeah. And there would have been several others, George McGinnis, Stan Issel, George Gervin, 
You think of uh, great. Rick, didn't Rick Barry play in the ABA? Uh, he, you know, he was a University of Miami grad, by the way. But uh, you know, he played right here in Lakeland. Yeah. In Lakeland High School gym against Bobby Bowman in Florida Southern College. Bobby told me that Rick Barry had 45 points and Bobby had 43. <laughs> you know, Rick Barry, his son played for the Gators for one season a couple years ago. Canyon Barry. Canyon Barry, yeah. Uh, you, you know, Rick Barry's almost 80 years old and he's out there playing pickleball when he's not playing golf. And he's actually a kind of a competitive pickleball player. Uh, he, he, it's, I, I've, I was thinking about that. He's he's 80, and I'm thinking, man, if I tried to go out there and do any sort of <laughs> exercise like that, uh, how, how difficult it would be. And he is just an amazing, amazing athlete. You know who is a championship pickleball player? Danny Werfel. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was so rude he won his own tournament last yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rick Barry played in that in the Danny Werfel uh, celebrity uh, tournament. I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's in the circuit, such as it is. And I don't follow it that closely, but I understand that is uh, that Danny Werfel's like a big time player there. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> on his date in 1934, St. Louis Cardinals pitching Dean Brothers shut out the Brooklyn Dodgers in a doubleheader. Dizzy Dean beat the Dodgers on a three-hit, thirteen-nothing shutout. And then his brother Paul pitched a nightcap, 3 nothing and a no-hitter. Dizzy Dean said, you know, Paul, said if you'd told me you was going to do that, I'd have pitched one too. <laughs> Dizzy Dean was famous for, he called everybody Padna. Yeah. Hey, Padna. And he said, if you can do it, Padna, then it ain't bragging. <laughs> and he once said that he could strike, he bet somebody he could strike out Vince DiMaggio four times in a game. He struck him out three times. And DiMaggio popped up to the catcher, and Dizzy's yelling at him, drop it, drop it, drop it. And the catcher did, and he struck him out for the fourth time to win the bet. That's some cool stuff. And did you hear here where Blake Snell, the X-Ray, uh, he's pitching for the Padres now. He took a no-hitter through seven innings, only had 104 pitches, and they pulled him. Yeah. Oh, man. That was just a That's few days ago. That's baseball today, isn't it? Yeah. Dizzy Dean was the last National Leaguer to win 30 games. I mean, how many guys you think are going to win 30 games in today's world? Oh, no. It, it, nobody even wins 20 anymore because no. they just don't get that opportunity. No. They don't even pitch that many times. Uh, you know, it's, The Padres aren't going anywhere. It wasn't like they were saving Snell for the playoffs. He's probably only got one more start left in him. <laughs> I can't understand why they just let him go ahead and finish that off. He, he may I, I end totally up winning agree. the Cy Young even on a bad team. have to keep an eye on that. Dizzy Dean uh, famously was hit in the 1937 All-Star game on the toe by a line drive off the bat of Earl Averill. He tried to come back too soon, and it ruined his pitching career. He was never the same after that, although he did help pitch the Cubs to a World Series title in, I think it was like 1945 when they beat the Tigers. Well, they would have uh, made it to the World Series, but they actually lost to the Tigers. Uh, remember, the Cubs went 100 plus well, they, years without did, winning the World well, they Series. Did but win. They, they did win a pennant or two, but yeah, they, that, maybe that's what it yeah, was. It was, yeah. it, but uh, they they went uh, from 2000 or 2000, 1908 to 2016 right. Right. between World Series titles. Uh, it's it's a long time, Ronnie. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, how did they celebrate back in 08 after they won? What did you? Oh did, man, did, we, did they go on your show back then? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We, you know, we we had the wireless back then. <laughs> Me and Marconi did the show together. <laughs> uh, Tinkers, Evers, Chance, they were all yeah, oh, yeah. all buddies. Oh of yours. yeah, Tink. Oh Tink, he was my boy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> on this date, 1955, Rocky Marciano. 
The undefeated world heavyweight boxing champion fought his last fight, knocking out Archie Moore in the ninth round to go 49-0. and And um, Archie Moore had actually split his nose, and uh, his trainer said, Art, said, Rock, said, you got to knock him out. You're way behind in this fight. And he went out there and knocked him out in the ninth round. So, wow. Now, yeah. Talk about records that will never be broken. You can't break this record. In 1969, New York Jet Steve O'Neill punts 98 yards against the Denver Broncos. Yeah, that's right. From the one-yard line to the one-yard yeah. line, I think. <laughs> can't do any better than that, right? I've seen uh, film of that punt. That was pretty amazing. He, he kicked it about a good 70-plus in the air, and then uh, then the, then it bounced all the way down, and it just should have gone in the end zone. It just sort of died at the one. It was an amazing, <laughs> amazing kick. We were watching, you know, after we talked to Chris Perkins earlier, you and I were, were looking online, and we, we looked at the other kicker uh, in the SEC from that era, Kevin Butler, who kicked a 60-yarder. And uh, we were recalling how in that the, in the '84 season in the uh, uh, Fiesta Bowl, no, it was the Citrus Bowl. Citrus Bowl. So it was yeah. the Citrus Bowl because it was in Orlando uh, that uh, Georgia and FSU played each other, and the game was tied, and there was only time left for one more play, and they were on their end of the field. So Georgia had Kevin Butler try a 70-yard field goal, and it would have been good from 69. Yeah, <laughs> it just missed. It was dead on line too. <laughs> Oh, man, you talk about a leg. <laughs> yeah, I remember Georgia was leading, I think, 19 to 11, if I remember correctly. And they had a turnover or something. FSU scored, got the two-point conversion to tie the game. Yeah. And, no, it was 17. It, yeah, 17. And the game, you know, they didn't even have overtime back then, so the game ended in a tie, which is a Gator fan. Yeah, that's what we're rooting for when Georgia and FSU play each other. We don't want either <laughs> team to win. So <laughs> that was the best thing that, that could have happened. Kevin Butler's incredible kicker. Kicked for that great Bears team in 85. Yeah, he did, yeah. man. That guy was something else. Yeah. One of the best I ever saw. Oh, he was. On this date in 1970, Vida Blue, the late Vida Blue, no-hit the Minnesota Twins, 6 nothing. 1956, the Yankees set a dubious Major League Baseball record, stranding 20 on base. Mickey Mantle hits a 500-foot-plus home run, but the Red Sox win 13-9 in Fenway Park. So, man, a lot of stuff happened on this date back in the day, huh? A lot of stuff happened already today. Uh, the Rays pull out a, a rally in the ninth inning to defeat the two Angels. Two out, two strike, base hit, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Manuel Margot. Mar got it done, as they yeah. say. Oh, man. The key hit to drive in the winning run after they had rallied to tie the game in the ninth. They did it off off of Carlos Estevez, the Angels' ace closer. He has 30 saves this year. He was an all-star. He wasn't too happy after the game. You could see him in the dugout. Uh, throwing a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, it wasn't his fault. It's the glove's fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. No, he, he actually threw a good pitch, but Margot fought it off to right field. He kind of blooped it over first base and, and in there for, for a base hit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that that game looked like it was lost the whole way, and the Rays pulling that one out at the end. Got some, get them back within two games of the Orioles who are playing right now, and they were scoreless in their game with Cleveland. So, uh, uh, the race still alive for the division. They need just one more win to clinch the top wild card spot, which would make make them the home team in the first round if they have to play the first round. All right, let's go Rays. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. We come back, we just might have an opportunity for you to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, eat and drink what you want, and take $30 off the tab. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone 
on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Vince Dooley, former football coach and athletic director of the Georgia Bulldogs, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ozone! Oh, yeah! Ronnie Owen, Coach Joe in the Ozone tonight, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie Owen, Coach Joe, back in the Ozone, and we know right now you're hungry, you're thirsty, you cannot wait because you know it's time for us to give away that $30 opportunity at Miller's Lakeland Ale House. Well, here you go. If you haven't won in the last six months, and we have a list, so don't try to sneak in. So here you go. We got an easy one for you. True or false, USF once beat Auburn in Auburn, Alabama, and UCF once beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Is that true or false? 682-1430. 682-1430. And you give us a call if you haven't won in the last six months. And you could be going out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, eat and drink what you want, take $40, $30 off your tab. Now, Coach Joe, I've been out there a couple times, and I know you go out there regularly too. Man, 40 strategically located television sets. Staff is wonderful. They will just bend over backwards to help you out. They have drinking meal specials every night of the week, so you can make that $30 go a long way. Oh, you sure can. And if you love college football, uh, especially this weekend, that is a great place to be because uh, we're looking at the schedule. There's a couple of good games at noon with uh, FSU Clemson, Georgia, South Carolina. But uh, the 3.30 window is unbelievable. At least four really important games. you got Utah and UCLA. you you got the Canes are playing. If, you, if you're a Miami fan, you got uh, Ole Miss and Alabama. Huge game in Tuscaloosa there. Uh, and, uh, you know, you look at, at all those great matchups at 3.30, and there's no way you at home with your clicker can keep up with it all. But yeah. at the Ale House, you can get yourself a table that will allow you to watch – all four games as they're going on without without even having to, to swivel or, or turn your head barely. Just kind of shift your eyes a little bit one way or the other, and you get to enjoy great food and, and terrific people and service at the same time. It's a, a heck of a deal. It's really uh, this time of year, it just uh, makes me real happy to know that the weekend's coming, college football is going to be on, and the alehouse is open. Yeah, there you go. 682-1430, real easy sports quiz tonight. True or false? UCF once went into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. And is it true or false that USF once went into Auburn and beat the Auburn Tigers? 682-1430. That's all you got to do is call us and tell us. If both things happen, the answer is true. If one or the other or neither happened, then it's false. So is it true or false? Absolutely correct. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because uh, USF certainly gave Alabama a really good game in in Tampa. Uh, Part of that was uh, the poor quarterbacking at Alabama. They are going back to Jalen Milrow in that Ole Miss game. What a huge game this is. You know, Alabama lost to Texas uh, earlier uh, this, well, a couple weeks ago. And it's basically a situation, Alabama's in the same boat that Clemson is. If they were to lose to a very Quality team. Obviously, FSU is really good against Clemson. Ole Miss is a terrific team, uh, and they they're definitely going going to give Alabama a hard time. If Alabama were to lose, they'd be pretty much eliminated from the playoff. 
And, oh, yeah. And we're still in September. Yeah. 682-1430. That's the number. Give us a call. It's so easy. you got a 50-50 chance. If you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call. What we want to know is, true or false, did both of these things happen? That would make it true. UCF once went into Tuscaloosa, Alabama and beat the Crimson Tide, and USF went into Auburn and beat Auburn at Auburn, Alabama. If that's true, if both of those things happen, give us a call, 682-1430. If they didn't happen, then all you got to do is say it's false, and you will be going out to Miller's Lakeland Alehouse on us. On this date in 2022, Daryl Mudra, former Florida State football coach known as Dr. Death, passed away. Daryl Mudra coached at Florida State in 74 and 75. He was 4-18 and 18 there. But overall, he's a Hall of Fame football coach, 281 wins, four ties. And um, Bobby Do- Bowden Dr. was hired after him in 1976. Dr. Death? That's, that's what he was known as. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, is is that because he nearly killed the FSU football program <laughs> or is he just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Yeah, I don't know. They were pretty bad back then. They'd been on probation um because of the chicken wire deal. All right, we got a caller. Who's Charlotte, how are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. Are you the Charlotte that's playing the Gators Saturday? All by yourself? Uh no. That's no. not me. Oh, okay. All right. We're almost out of time. Is it true or false? False. No. <laughs> no. Ah. Oh, so you don't you don't think either of those things happened or that they both happened? Can I change my Yes. <laughs> yes, because we're almost out of time. Well that's up to Eric. Eric, is that gonna be allowed? Eric, do we have another he's, call? He's no. Eric, Eric says it's okay. You know, all right. and oh, Eric nice. Eric controls uh, all the money in Polk County that's and most right. of the southeastern Eric is United the States. Man. Charlotte, hang on and um, let Eric get your information and we'll send you out to the alehouse. How about that? Thank you so much. All right. Charlotte wins our sports quiz. We are so lenient here, Coach Joe. How about that? Eric is a benevolent ruler. <laughs> He's a benevolent of all of us. despot. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Yeah. He treats us well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't feed us, but... He's a pretty mean guy sometimes, you know. Won't let anybody use his yachts or his Learjets. He's just one of those guys. 